Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. We hope you be blessed by the preaching of the Word by Pastor Bill Johnson. Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to use one verse to take us into a biblical theme that I would like to uh, pursue for this evening. I want to look at the subject of the renewed mind, but I want to start with a verse that shows us the impact uh, of the renewed mind and the purpose for the renewed mind. So it's verse two, it's a very uh, well-known verse, as it should be. Verse two, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's read it again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are transformed in our lives as our minds are renewed. A transformed mind transforms a life. A transformed person transforms a city. Many people experience miracles, they pray, they see great things happen in their life, but they never adjust their way of thinking to accommodate the miraculous as a lifestyle. I don't just mean that they're able to pray for the sick and see miracles happen. That happens a lot throughout history. But what happens if we fail to think and to see from divine perspective, then we're always fighting an uphill battle to get breakthrough. Repentance actually means to change the way you think. Now, it's not mind over matter. It's it's a heartfelt sorrow over sin that takes us into a place where we shift and change our perspective on reality. Look at it this way. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way you think because I brought my world with me and unless you change your perspective on reality, you'll be this close to what I brought but never see it. Most Christians repent enough to get forgiven but not enough to see the kingdom. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God. It's from and unto. So repentance then is this shift in perspective. It's seeing through God's eyes from his perspective. The renewed mind is continuous repentance. So what does the scripture say? It says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That we can prove the will of God. The renewed mind proves the will of God. Yes? Yes. Got to make sure you're still breathing. The renewed mind proves the will of God. So we have to ask the question, what is the will of God? The best definition for the will of God in scripture is in the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples to pray. 
He didn't just give words to pray, he gave an approach. He gave a list of priorities. He gave a perspective. It starts with our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your dominion come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? What is the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? Any area of life that doesn't mirror the reality of heaven is an inferior reality and he wants to change it. What does a renewed mind do? It proves that. It demonstrates the reality of his world that is superior to this one. The answer isn't to die and go to heaven. I'm thankful that day's coming. But he actually provided a gospel that brings immediate transformation to broken situations now. The renewed mind draws upon that reality is enabled in, and is able to demonstrate the will of God now. It's the reason you're alive. Getting you to heaven isn't that hard. Getting heaven to, into us is a greater challenge. Enabling us to demonstrate all around us through our words, our actions, our touch, our ministry, our affection, our love for people, to demonstrate what his will looks like, that is a greater challenge. The Lord gave us this assignment. I believe it's the greatest of all commissions on earth as it is in heaven. Every other commission that's given in scripture from heal the sick, raise the dead, to go into all the world, preach the gospel, all those things are expressions of this one primary mandate on earth as it is in heaven. And it's the renewed mind that is able to demonstrate, to put on display, to um, reveal what the heart of God is. I personally think the greatest missing element in the consciousness of humanity is concerning the goodness of God. It is the believer that lives with continuous renewed mind who is able to demonstrate the goodness of God. When you and I pray this prayer on earth as it is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not just praying, God, there's no poverty in heaven, so let there be no poverty here. That's a good example, but it's bigger than that. We're not just praying, God, we want, uh, there's no cancer in heaven, so there shouldn't be cancer in here. That's a very legitimate expression of that prayer, but it's much bigger than that. You see, heaven has none of those ailments there because there's no one there that will agree with what the devil has to say. The enemy has no authority. Would you agree? Jesus said, all authority is given to me, speaking of himself, all authority is given to me, which means there's someone out there who has no authority. So where does he get his authority from? 
He has to get it from someone who has it. Who did Jesus give authority to? You and me. So what does he do? He talks until we agree. When we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're actually praying for the reality of that world, the values of that world. Let me use a a popular term. The culture of that world to affect the culture of this world. See, in heaven, every person is celebrated for who they are without without anyone stumbling over who they are not. If you discover who God made you to be, you will never want to be anyone else. You are perfectly designed to represent him uniquely in a way that no one else can equal. Heaven has a culture, a value system, and if we could reduce it down to one primary value, heaven itself is a presence-based culture. There's nothing in heaven that is separate from him. It's difficult to wrap our heads around this, but in, in a sense, he himself is heaven because there's nothing in heaven separate from him. Everything in heaven is connected to the manifested presence of God. Everything thrives because of the presence of God. Every heart is anchored in the presence of God. There's absolute perfect communion and fellowship. So when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we are actually saying, God, so impact how I see life, how I do life, that I mirror the value system of your world where your presence is the number one factor in my life. It is due north on the compass. It's that reference point from which everything else is measured. The spirit-filled life we know is a life of power. We know, um, we, we know the biblical expressions and definitions of the spirit-filled life. But in, in many ways, it's measured by how we value the presence of God. We talked about that last night. I, I won't repeat that. But there's two scriptures Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Those are the safety railings that we have on this journey. We are in a relational journey with God the Almighty. And in this journey, it's a a challenging journey. It is not for the faint of heart. It is a summons from God himself to pursue the extreme with him and to co-labor with him, to see Jesus once again manifested in the earth through us, through his people. And these safety railings, one is grieve not the spirit, the other is quench not the spirit. Grieve not has to do with sin. It's sin of attitude, of action, of plan, of ambition. Don't grieve him. Don't, don't plan or do something that's wrong because it, it violates his heart for you. He loves us too much to allow us to stumble into things that destroy us. 
He never gives us commandments that forbid us to do something out of punishment. It's always out of, it's for our absolute best. It's where we thrive. It's because that's what love does. Love, love keeps us from things that would cause self-destruction, cause us to miss our destiny, our purpose. The other side is quenched. Quench means to stop the flow. Quench is not doing something wrong. It's the failure to do what's right. And this life, this relational journey that we have with the Lord has these two um, safety measures, if you will, these things that, that we don't want to violate. We, we live, uh, our heart as born-again people is to serve Him and to honor Him with everything we are. And it is in our nature to live with faith. It is in our nature to not want to cross these barriers. This is the renewed mind. The renewed mind illustrates this world perfectly and, and is not only capable but has the responsibility to demonstrate what his world looks like. So I want you to do this with me. We're gonna look at, uh, if we have time, we'll look at three stories. If not, we'll look at perhaps two. But uh, go to the Gospel of Mark with me, if you would, and we'll start with chapter four. Mark chapter four. Here are no pages turning, so I'm, I'm assuming your phones are on. Let me see them. Yeah, they sure are. All right. I love that sound, so I'll just do it to encourage myself here. We're going to read several stories, so uh, as I mentioned, if we have time, we'll do two if we have time, we'll do three, but minimum two. And what I'm going to do is we're going to look at stories to reveal what the renewed mind looks like. Because what we'll, what we'll find is that the disciples were actually taken into a series of experiences, not just so that miracles would be done, but to show them divine perspective. And what we have to learn to do is adjust our thinking, our perspective to accommodate God's view. If we don't, we will always be trying to get God to invade our problem instead of co-laboring with God to represent him in addressing the problem. One is here on earth trying to get God to come. The other is seated in heavenly places, co-laboring with him, expressing his heart through his authority to see those things change. And there's a great difference. It's, it's not evil or wrong to be in the middle of a problem and ask God to come and help. But what he wants from us is maturity. And maturity enables us to discover how we are seated with him in heavenly places, to co-labor with him, and to address the circumstances of life on his behalf. That is his ambition for you. That's his ambition for me. It's, it's impossible without a renewed mind. Ready? Yes, Bill, we're ready. Oh, good. Overwhelming response, I love that. First, it's, it's too late, I gave you a chance. It's, uh, very sick sense of humor, so. Verse 35, verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. 
Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Which is an amazing question to ask the Savior of the world. (laughs) Then he arose, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? This is one of my favorite stories for quite a few reasons. Let's just walk through it together. The disciples are scared again of drowning. They're they're afraid. I think after a while, I would just stop getting in a boat with Jesus. I think that was a, they, they seem to run into storm after storm when they're in a boat with Jesus. Sorry, Um, back to the story. So they're afraid of dying. They're very terrified with their boat being tossed about. It's filling with water. They wake Jesus up who's sleeping. I I hear people say he wasn't really sleeping. He had one eye open waiting for the disciples to come. No, no, no. The Bible says he was sleeping. I I believe the whole Bible. I, I even believe the maps the maps and the table of contents. I I just believe all of it. I I even believe my cover. I believe all of it. Says he was sleeping, he was sleeping. So they wake him up and, uh, and he settles the storm. So let's look through this. They come to Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's the son of God. What do they do? They dialogue with the son of God. What do we call that? Prayer. So they petition him, he answers their prayer, and then says, how come you don't have any faith? And then he says, how come you don't have any faith? It's not the petition, it's not that the petition of the prayer is wrong, it's just when the Lord trains you to, to live in authority and to work in his name, representing his purposes in the earth, to ask him to do what he's told you to do is not good. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people through the years pray. They say, oh God, bind the devil. Last time I read, he said, you do it. Uh, how, long, how long do we... <laughs> How long do we keep our jobs if we keep asking our boss to do what he told us to do? So we have to own up to responsibility. I may not know how to do it, and I may not do it well, but I don't have the right to change the assignment. Right? So here Jesus turns to his disciples after he has answered their prayer, and he says, how come you don't have any faith? You see, they were trained to speak to the mountain of opposition and command it to be uprooted and cast into the sea. But instead, what did they do? They asked him to deal with the storm. There's two things about this particular story. There's two lessons, at least that that I can see at this point in my life, two that are important for us. Number one, Jesus 
spoke peace over a storm he slept in. You can't give what you don't have. The reality in him, peace, was greater than the storm outside of him. See, the renewed mind understands that your internal reality will always redefine your external reality. You have authority over any storm you can sleep in. That was a real good point, Bill. Amen. Just, just keep it up. So he rebuked the wind and the waves, and it says he spoke peace, and everything calmed. Why? Because the internal reality of peace that enabled him to sleep in a life-threatening situation was actually his posture for defeating the storm. So number one, internal reality redefines external reality. You, you, you know what this is like, whether you've thought through it or not. You, we've all experienced this. If you're anxious inside, you will always communicate that, even if you have a big smile on your face. You all, that anxiety, that fear, the bitterness, whatever it might be, we always emit that from our countenance, from the way we behave. Jesus had true peace in the storm. And as a result, he was positioned to deal with what was threatening all of their lives. Getting the victory here is a big deal. Get the victory here. Get the victory here. The scripture says, we will be led forth with peace. Don't go anywhere. Peace doesn't take you. We are not led by anxiety. If you have anxiety, you have fear, you have bitterness, whatever it might be, fine, go to God. Just don't leave his presence the way you went in. He accepts us any way we are. It's wonderful. He just, he welcomes us into the presence, but we aren't to leave the way we came in. If we leave the way we came in, we weren't praying, we were complaining. <laughs> See, Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me with your junk and I will give you my rest. What is it? Exchange. If there's no exchange, it wasn't real prayer. So the renewed mind, internal reality, redefines external reality. Does that make sense? Yes? Yes? Okay. All right. You're making me nervous now. Okay. The second part of the renewed mind in this story that's vital to get is that sometimes the renewed mind lives with this awareness that sometimes the Lord would rather do something through me than for me. I heard recently, the Lord would rather do something through me than for me. It's, it is the mark of our maturity, our development, is that he can entrust to us authority to represent him well. It's what happened when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. They went in his name, functioned under his authority, under his power, and demonstrated what he would do if he were in those cities. It's no different today. Okay, chapter six. 
Bible just talks about strengthening herself in the Lord. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm just I'm letting myself know there are actual Bibles in the room. Thanks for tolerating my humor. Verse 30. Verse 30. It's a long story, so let me kind of skip through it, and I'll try to explain just uh, because of time. Verse 30. The apostles gathered to Jesus, told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Understand what's happened here. He has sent the disciples out two by two, as I just mentioned. They returned to him. They are together now, the 12 disciples and Jesus, the master, and they are telling him the stories of their missionary journey. Remember, he sent them back to their hometowns. And so they saw extraordinary things took place. They, Jesus wasn't even there, and they're bringing back the story. They're bringing the spoil back to Jesus, and that's what they're doing. That's what this gathering is. They're recalling to him, you told us to say this, we said it, and this is what's happening. And so they're like school kids, just excited with new toys, you know. So he says in verse 31, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Sometimes your greatest need for rest is when you're the most excited for what's just happened. This is just a side note, but Elijah's greatest temptation came after his greatest victory. Because whether it's difficulty or triumph, it is all emotionally draining. And we have need of rest. Don't ignore the Sabbath. That was free. I'm not even going to charge you for that. That was just free. All right. Let's move on. Verse 32, they departed uh, to a deserted place by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing. Many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them. They were like sheep not having a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. We'll stop the story right there. So the disciples come back to Jesus, and they're giving a report. He knows of their need for rest, even though they're as excited as can be. He knows that they need to eat and spend some time together. So they embark on that journey, and so they're going across the sea, and as you can imagine, they're about 100 yards from the shore, and they see the people that were on that side of the sea are now on this side of the sea. And the disciples, I'm sure, have that thought like, oh, no, we just lost our vacation with Jesus, you know. Because then we see the same people. Sure enough, Jesus is moved with compassion. He starts teaching the people and ministering to them. The disciples know to cooperate, so they cooperate. And then after the day has gone on for a while, they come to Jesus and they say, "Um, we've been talking. And uh, we have a great burden for these people. They've not been able to eat. We're real concerned for them. Send them away. (laughs) Send, Send them away. And Jesus, Jesus, I'm sure just terrified him. He said, you feed them. And they've got that moment, you know, that deer in the headlight kind of look like, okay. Like if we had the money, there's no store. And this is where he has them all sit down. He has them get the loaves, the fishes from the child. And there's this great miracle of multiplication. 
I'm not going to go into that story, but that's the backdrop for the real lesson, which is in the following verses, all right? Verse 43, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, and he sent the multitude away. There's always a time, even though your scheduled rest isn't when you plan for it, there still is a time to insist on the rest, and Jesus made sure they had it. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. He was alone on the land. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. When they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. They all saw him, they were troubled, but immediately he talked with them. He said, be of good cheer, it's I do not be afraid. Two more verses. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Here's our key verse for both stories. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. The loaves was the last story. Picture this now. Jesus sends them on the boat. It's night, it's dark. He sees them straining at rowing, so it's a revelation that the Holy Spirit is giving him because they're in a storm. He couldn't see them in the natural anyway. He's on a mountain. It's a great distance. It's dark, but he sees them straining at rowing, so the Holy Spirit reveals to him their condition. So he starts walking on the water like all saviors do. So <laughs> walking, walking on the water. And the disciples see him. They're, first of all, they're afraid of dying. And then they see him walking on the water. They don't know it's him. And now they're afraid of the ghost. So they've got two problems going here. And they call out, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. Which, every time he says, don't be afraid, it's because we have really good reason to be afraid. That's what I've noticed. From the unrenewed mind perspective, I got a good reason to be afraid. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. And, um, but he planned to walk past them, which is interesting. He didn't, he didn't walk past them to save them. We'll look at why in a moment. So this whole story goes on, and Jesus calms the wind. Everything settles. The wind ceases. He gets into the boat, and it says they were stunned. They marveled. But it says that they missed their opportunity to be involved in a miracle because their heart was hard regarding the loaves. All right, are you still alive? Yes, all right, let's look through the story. In the previous story with the loaves and fishes, Jesus, the disciples came to him and said, these people need to eat, send them away. Jesus said, you feed them. When they told Jesus they had no food, they didn't know what to do. Jesus didn't pull their commission back. He didn't change their assignment. He says, well, never mind, I'll do it. He didn't do that. What did he, what did he do? He showed them how to complete their assignment, which was to do what? Multiply food. Jesus didn't take the loaves and fish, fishes and throw it up in the air and go shazam and create a big pile of food <laughs> for, for a multitude. What did he do? He took this small amount of food, he broke it into 12 baskets. 
And as the disciples went out, as they handed out the food, the food would increase, would multiply. It was just a basket that wouldn't become empty. And after they had fed this multitude, thousands of people, there was leftovers. And they went back and they picked up significantly more than they started with. It's one of those amazing, amazing miracles. But what happened? The disciples didn't realize that the food didn't multiply at Jesus' hands. It multiplied at theirs. Why was that necessary? Because he said, you feed them. Here's the thing about the kingdom. We live because he speaks. Literally, our life is from the voice of God, from the word of God. And so when Jesus said, you feed them, the renewed mind realizes that he enables what he commands. The renewed mind realizes he enables what he commands. When he says, you feed them, he enabled them to multiply food. We all understand we don't have the capacity to heal, deliver, or multiply food, anything. But when he says, you feed them, suddenly the ability is there. It's in our yieldedness to his purposes. How does that how does that affect the story in the storm? Why did Jesus not plan to save them? Because he commissioned them to go to the other side. See, they thought if Jesus wasn't in the boat, they could die. They didn't realize that simply being commissioned by Jesus to go from here to there means he has enabled what he has commanded. You all right? One more story, we'll, we'll fit this one in. Chapter eight. This particular story is probably uh, the most important story in my life, uh, the impact in my life on the issue of the renewed mind. I can only take a few minutes for it um, tonight, but it's normally a story I'll spend an hour or so on. So we're not gonna do that. We'll be here till tomorrow morning and I don't wanna do that to anyone, so. You're gluttons for punishment here. (laughs) All right. Now, at the first part of chapter 8, the multitudes are fed. Now we go into the story in verse 13. Mark 18, uh, verse 8, verse, Mark chapter 8, verse 13. I get it right. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. 
Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. They did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. Jesus being aware of it said, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. And he said to them, how is it you do not understand? <laughs> now, mathematics in the kingdom of God is different than mathematics here. How many of you have learned, whenever Jesus is asking you a question, it's not because he's lacking information. He's painting you into a corner is what he's doing. So he asks him a question. He says, all right, we, f we fed 5,000 people. We started with five loaves. How many baskets did we pick up afterwards? And he said, uh, 12. He says, all right, we fed seven, uh, 7,000, no, 4,000 was seven loaves. How many baskets full of fragments did we have left? They said, seven. So you mean when we start with less food, we feed more people and have more leftovers? <laughs> this, this is divine perspective. This is not mind over matter. This is divine perspective. You mean we started with five loaves one time, seven another time. We fed 5,000. We fed 4,000. We had seven baskets left over. We had 12 baskets left over. When we started with less, we fed more and ended with more. So how, is, how important is what you have? A better question would be, how important is the amount that you have? So Jesus asked this question. He starts this dialogue by saying, be careful of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. This is where I, I like to take a bit more time than, than we're able to tonight. But leaven is influence on the mind. Leaven is a yeast in dough. You put the yeast into the dough, you put it by heat, it rises. Once you put leaven into the dough, you can't pull it out. And the Bible teaches there's three different kinds of leaven. There's the leaven of Herod. That's a political system, humanistic in nature. There's the leaven of the Pharisees. That's the religious system where God is the center of everything, but he's impersonal and powerless. And then in Matthew 13, there's the leaven of the kingdom of God. Three leavens. So Jesus warns them about two of them. The humanistic system doesn't mind you believing in God, just don't bring him into the affairs of everyday life. The religious system, he's at the center of everything, but he's impersonal, powerless. He's there in form, not in relationship. And Jesus warns about those two systems, those influences on the mind. And they think he's talking about the fact they didn't bring lunch. He's bringing this great revelation of truth and they're going, oh no, we don't have lunch. 
And it's almost like Jesus says, I wasn't talking about lunch, but let's pretend I was. <laughs> and then he asked them the questions about the loaves and fishes. So here's, here's the verse that gets me. I, I return to the story often because I need it. I need the piercing sword of God into my soul to expose where I think like him and where I don't. You have to welcome the soul. So here's, here's the verse. Here's the verse that, I, that I, uh, I will review often. Verse 17, Jesus being aware of it said, why do you reason because you have no bread? All right, stop. Why do you reason because you have no? Why does your reasoning start with what you don't have? How many of you have ever experienced a, a real miracle of provision? I mean a real miracle of provision in your life. Put your hands up. All right. How many of you, after that miracle, you had another financial challenge and you were as afraid the second time as you were the first time? All right, good. We're in the same boat. So Jesus comes to these guys who have seen him multiply food and he says, why does your reasoning start with what you don't have? They've just experienced multiplication of food twice. Are you, are you tired or are you still awake? Everybody's still awake? All right, all right, all right, because you got you to catch this. We've been building all night for this. Cool. So, all right, all right. All right, the, woo, the woos are good, all right. So here he asks this question. Why do you reason that you have no bread? When you are exposed to the supernatural, the activities of God, it is for the purpose of changing how we see reality. And they saw the food multiplied twice. One was like the previous day, and now they're afraid of not having enough for lunch. Do you see a problem here? All right. When you have seen supernatural provision, you have lost the right to start any thought process with what you don't have. The lifestyle of miracles is very expensive. I don't mean expensive to get it. I mean expensive to live in it. The reason is because the miracle is supposed to become the lenses through which I see present problems. If I don't see my present problem through the lens of the miraculous, then I will come from the inferior continuously hoping God will intervene instead of cooperating with him as a co-laborer to see change come about. The renewed mind lives with a realization that our exposure to the miraculous, the testimonies, it may have been a prayer you prayed where a miracle happened, it may be your friend prayed, but we were involved, we get to see, we heard the testimony. The renewed mind realizes that the testimonies of the Lord become the lenses through which we are to see our present challenge. And so he tells us, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Because I want you to prove the will of God. See, the renewed mind, I think, is the most effective way to display the reality of his world in this one. Why don't you stand? Would you take us into that little chorus, Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my soul. I want us to sing this. We're gonna pray for some people. We've got just a few minutes left. We're gonna pray for some healing to take place here. But before we do that, I want us to sing this song and kind of seal the deal on what the Lord's um, ministering to us about tonight, this renewed mind. I'll never forget at home when I first started seeing the effects of the renewed mind. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was doing a wedding for this older uh, middle-aged couple that uh, had met each other in our homeless ministry. They already, they already had all the stuff they needed. They fell in love, they were getting married. And at the wedding, they, they told me, uh, if I get words of knowledge in the middle of the ceremony to pray for the sick, you know, so I knew it was gonna be a very different wedding. And I'll never forget before the big wedding started, I had three people, maybe four people come to me before the ceremony started. And they said, they came to be excited. Bill, there's somebody here that's dying. <laughs> I'll never forget the feeling like, you're different. <laughs> they, they saw it as the opportunity for God. They saw it as a divine, God arranged, of course, he would bring. These, <clears throat> the guests at the wedding were the homeless and the poor from our city. We sent out buses around the city just to pick up people to come to the wedding. They didn't know the bride and groom, they were coming for a free meal. <laughs> But that's what the bride and groom wanted. They just wanted to honor the homeless and poor. All the gifts were coats, hats, gloves, sleeping bags to give to the homeless and poor. And so here's this wedding. And people came excited because somebody came that was dying. It's a beautiful story. We don't have time for it, but he was healed. He was healed of several things that were wrong, including the cancer. The tumors disappeared on his neck. The muscles that were destroyed by treatments or cancer removed the neck brace, complete mobility, and Jesus healed him. But the point is, people were thinking different because the miracle had impacted them so deeply they could never think the same again. And so Jesus asks us, can you see? Yeah, I can see we have no bread. Now that's not the kind of seeing I'm talking about. Can you hear? 
can you at least remember? Let's sing this chorus together. Give you my soul. I live for you, my love. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. to bring this sweeping tsunami wave, if you will, of the renewed mind through the house of God, the renewed mind where we think and we see differently than we did before. If, if we were to go on a missions trip together and let's just say we were in Brazil, I love going there with Randy Clark. We see more miracles in a week than most healing evangelists see in a lifetime. It's just extraordinary. And let's just say you came with me and we went on this trip with Randy and you prayed for somebody that had a blind eye and that eye opened. And an hour later, another person came to you with blindness and you prayed for them and their eyes opened. The next morning, Another person was brought to you with blind eyes and those eyes opened. How I many after about four or five of those, you're looking for blind people? Yes? You're, lo you're looking for them. Why? Because you think different. Your perspective is not, I'm impressed with blindness. Your perspective is, I'm impressed with the heart of God for those who are blind. That's what we want. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Put your hands in front of you like you're going to receive a gift, and I want you to ask the Lord 
to help you with a renewed mind. Be very specific, but pray it out loud. Don't do this quiet in the heart stuff. Save that for Starbucks. Right now, we pray specifically for what we want God to do. Lift your voices. I want you to lift your voice. I want you to pray boldly for the grace of God to shift the way we think and see. Increase, increase the grace upon us, Lord, to think, to see with a renewed mind. We're tired of reasoning that we have no bread. We're tired of reasoning from what we don't have. God, I ask that you would expose us to your world, how your kingdom works, and that forever there would be a change, forever a change in how we think, how we see. Help us to never again be impressed with the size of the problem. Never again impressed with the size of the challenge before us. Just put your hands on your head. Let's just pray this together. God, we just ask right now for the renewing of the mind, the renewing of our minds, the renewing of our eyes, our ears, to hear and to see well, to remember what you've done, to let the memory of past miracles shape how we approach present challenges. I pray for this renewing of the heart and mind in Jesus' wonderful name. Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Now, we've got just a few minutes left. I want us to pray for a few conditions. There's somebody who has nerve damage on the right side of your body. I believe it's from an accident of some sort. Who is that? Put your hand up. There's nerve damage on the right side of your body. Wave it at me. Is that over here? Okay. The Lord's healing that. There's also somebody that has uh, an issue. Maybe hip replacement surgery is needed. Maybe it's already happened, but it's in the joint on the right hip. Who is that? The Lord's healing that. Put your hand up high, right over here. Uh, is, is there someone here named Maria over in this side of the room? Is there a Maria over, over on this side of the room? It's so hard to see hands raised. So right over here, Maria, okay. I don't know what it is that you need, but I, I want to just encourage you. Let's believe God for a miracle. Wave your hand at me if, if a miracle is needed. Do you need, are you needing a, a miracle? Right. I believe the Lord uh, gave me your name last night. And uh, so I just declare to you, Lord Jesus heals you. There are people here who have different kinds of head trauma, um, injuries, uh, accidents, um, football, uh, sporting injuries. Uh, where there's memory loss or perhaps um, concentration is difficult. Perhaps there's been multiple concussions, those kinds of things. Sometimes it includes things like learning disorders. I've seen uh, 16 people in one night healed of dyslexia where they could read perfectly after just a few moments of prayer. So I, I'm believing that the Lord's going to do that tonight. If you have any issue with head trauma, whether it's a learning disorder, accident, anything, put your hand up if that's you. Put your hand up high if that's you, all right? Put it high. Don't, don't be afraid, please. All right. Amen. How many of you are actually in pain in your body right now somewhere? Put a hand up. You're in pain right now, all right? 
Everybody that just raised your hand for anything, put your hand up right now. All right? If your hand is down, guess what? You've been assigned by God to pray for somebody with their hand up. I want you to lay hands on these folks right now and just begin to pray. Now listen, what I want you to do is I want you to pray like Jesus did. He spoke to the problem and he commanded it to go. He spoke to the problem. Asking God to heal is not wrong. I'm just, I'm just telling you, Jesus addressed the problem and commanded it to go. So I want you to do that right now. If your hand is up and nobody's praying for you, turn and grab somebody. Say, please pray for me, all right? So we just say, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd come now and release healing grace into people's bodies in Jesus' mighty name. I rebuke affliction, I rebuke pain. The very root of disease be gone now in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Head trauma, be gone. Be gone now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. All right, go ahead and end your prayer. I realize that we're rushing this, but I, I, uh, I'm sorry for that. But the good news is some of you will wake up tomorrow and find out you were healed. So that's good. Well, let me ask this question. I want everyone that just received prayer, I want you in some way to examine your body. If you had, you had a, a difficult time reading, grab somebody's Bible, try to read. If you had pain with your head, your neck, begin to move around. Do something to see what God has done. That step of faith is as important as was the prayer. So do that right now. And anyone that finds that you're at least 80% better, I want you to wave both hands over your head like this. Okay, now look, look around the room. I want you to wave your hands like this. Already 80, at least 80% better. Wave your hands like that. We thank you, Lord. Yeah, lift up a shout of thanks and praise to the Lord. Let's sing it again.
Spirit of the living God, we thank you for all that you are doing, O oh God. Renewing our mind, transforming our life, O oh God. That we may transform nations. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the power of God that's moving. Oh God, that's moving, oh God, in our being. We thank you, oh God, for the healing that has taken place, that is taking place. Oh God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for sending your servants, oh God. Thank you for his obedience. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, oh God, for our salvation. Thank you, God, that we can have this revelation. Oh Makare. We are so thankful, so thankful, God, for you. Jesus, truly, oh God, have our heart, have our mind, have our lips, oh God, have our eyes, have our whole being, oh God. Jesus, we love you. Let us be ambassadors for you. Carry us, oh God, of your presence and your revival. Jesus, we love you. Let this nation be blessed. Because, oh God, we are transformed, transformed disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm just so thankful that God sent His servant every night just teaching us the word of life the full gospel you know some of you know that i recently was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and pain was all over my body and i have to write a letter to the cell leaders to excuse me you know for for preaching and um for a few months and i was standing there and, and pastor bill was talking about pain nerve pain and pain in the joint of the hip and I'm like, it's me, it's me. And then he said, right side. I'm like, no, Pastor Bill, you got it wrong. It's left. Mine's the left side. You know, but then he said, whoever that has pain, just lift up your hands. And I lift up my hands and Pastor Harris and Sister Esther, I don't know who else prayed for me. You know, and I kept doing this, you know, and, and people standing next to me must be thinking, why is she doing this move? Is this a new move? You see, because there's no more pain. There's no more pain on my left hip. There's no more pain. There's no more pain. I don't have to wait till tomorrow. There's no more pain. Woo! Left hip or right hip? Left knee or right knee? God heals it all. So we give Him praise. Woo! Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul.
Are you blessed by this week's podcast? Tell us at connect at chc.org.sg.